Business Women Rock, Episode 16. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible businesswomen. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we shine the light on some of the smartest and most business-savvy businesswomen all over the globe. If it's your first time tuning in, I welcome you here. And if you're a repeat listener and you love the show, thank you so much for spending your time here with me today. I want to give just a quick shout out to all of you who have liked our fan page on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash businesswomenrock. Holy cow, you guys rock, man. There are 10,400 likes on that page. And even more importantly, you guys are so active on that page. I just, I love you. I thank you so much for liking all the different posts that we have. We come up with some cool, creative, you know, uh, little tiles and quotes that we come across. And, um, and thank you so much for sharing all of the great things that we put out there about the podcast. And I just really, this Business Women Rock community is alive and it's so obvious on the Facebook page. So huge shout out to you. You guys are awesome. If you are not yet a fan on Facebook, please go to facebook.com forward slash businesswomenrock and go find us, go like us and go start interacting with all the fabulous ladies there. And now for the show. My guest today is Stephanie Schlageter. Now, Stephanie herself made sure that I understood how to pronounce her last name by reminding me that it sounds like gold (laughs) schlagers. So I guarantee that that's going to be a little bit of a reminder for you. So Stephanie Schlageter. So years ago, Stephanie purchased a franchise called Radiance Med Spa. Something happened right away within months of her actually purchasing her franchise that completely blew up like huge, like big, big, big time. And she has spent all these past years recovering from that and not only recovering, but really digging her feet in and building very, very big. So I'm so excited for you to hear this story today because it's really going to give you just a bare bones back end view of what kind of nasty stuff can really happen in business sometimes. And ultimately, what kind of attitude and persistence Stephanie brought to the table to really ensure that not only did her business actually survive, but watched and made sure that her business completely thrived. So sit back, get ready. This story will blow your mind. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited when I get to meet guests in person and it gets to be really, really interactive. It's so much fun. I'm really excited to tell your story because you own a franchise or you started owning a franchise and you have a really interesting story to tell behind that. And, you know, there are many of our listeners who are thinking about purchasing a franchise or are in the middle of building a franchise business. And so I really want to get behind the scenes on your experience with the franchise that you've bought with Radiance Med Spa. So first and foremost, let's start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about your business background and what kind of stuff that you were doing before Radiance Med Spa really kind of came into the picture. I started my uh, professional career, so to speak, or my education really intending to become a physician. So I went to Tufts University with the intention of going to medical school. 
But I quickly changed that path at the advice of many of my counselors and family members because I really wasn't cut out for that. I really am more of a numbers person. And I ended up changing my major into engineering, of all things, from medicine to engineering. And I ended up graduating with an engineering degree, but still very interested in medicine. So I ended up uh, with my mechanical engineering degree going to grad school for biomedical engineering. So I got my master's in biomedical engineering and then got my first job out of graduate school for a medical device company, which is what brought me from my hometown of Chicago down to Florida, because that's the headquarters of the medical device company I worked for. And I worked for that company for 10 years. Loved it. Great, great opportunity. I learned so much about business and uh, got to travel the world and was pretty much an R&D engineer and then a marketing person and then a business management. I played a business management role at the company. And so I wore many hats and had many great lessons and experiences over about a 10-year period. However, towards the end of the 10-year period, I was becoming a little bit restless. There were lots of changes at the organization that um, I, I was getting a little bit frustrated with, I guess. And um, I really felt like it was time for me to move on and do something you know, different. And just about the time, because I always say timing is absolutely everything in life, a family member of mine, my brother-in-law, who is a physician, brought to my attention this brand new concept. This is now in like 2004 of a medical spa and he's a physician and he said hey you've got the business background and the technical engineering background and I'm a physician and maybe we ought to look at opening one of these together I'm thinking about opening a medical spa we talked about uh, the concept and I immediately became interested in the business model it's just a really interesting brand new model I mean it crept up out of California really but out of nowhere and it's really a retail business model for non-surgical cosmetic medicine And it really did kind of appeal to a lot of my interests. It was um, medical, it was technical, and it was business, and it was people-oriented, which happens to be something I'm very interested in, too. I did not end up opening uh, a business with my brother-in-law. In In fact, he opened one himself, and I opened the one that we're sitting in today. But um, it was originally formed as a franchise. And I would not discourage anybody from uh, pursuing a franchise opportunity, but this franchise opportunity was a total disaster. (laughs) The uh, founder of the franchise group pretty much took off with everybody's money within a very short time of founding the uh, franchise organization. Shame on us, we all say, those of us that signed up for this business opportunity for not doing enough due diligence and you know, a lot of us didn't know. We were new to business of our own, and we uh, did our best to explore the proposition, but we uh, really did fail to do a very good job of investigating the franchisor and preparing ourselves for what was to come. So within literally a month or two of us here at this location opening our doors, the franchisor was gone. I mean, phones disconnected, the office in Arizona was closed for business, and the guy was nowhere to be found no communication with anybody. So that is kind of my background that kind of brought me up to this point. So, so let me let me back up just for a second to get a little bit deeper into some of those research details because I think it's really important. Even you admitting, okay, we definitely didn't do our due diligence the way that we should have. What kind of research did you do to make sure that you know you did want to actually purchase a franchise? First of all, like I said, the timing is everything element. It had a lot to do with me just leaving my comfortable corporate job and venturing out on my own. And I truly did not even know enough about owning my own business to know a whole lot, really, about the difference between starting it on my own, starting it through a franchise. I just happened to be introduced to the franchise opportunity, and it sounded like a easy way to start up a business. The 
guy who started the franchise was quite good at selling his offerings, you know. I mean, he had a pretty good sales pitch put together that they were going to do all of our marketing and HR and help us with development and architecture and blah, blah, blah. And so we, um, he really had a good sales pitch that obviously, I mean, there were probably over a hundred of these franchise territories sold before he took off. So he effectively sold a whole lot of people on this really, what sounded like a perfectly put together concept. Um, and most of the research that we all did was just through getting information from him, unfortunately. So, uh, he seemed to have really good answers to all the questions we asked. He said he had a tried and true model of these businesses for years out in California. Things looking back, it seems so silly in hindsight that we didn't go visit those locations or that we didn't really push for more proof of his story. But, I guess we were all uh, trusting and excited, and to boot, it was uh, in 2004-2005 when the economy was booming, and you know, there were lots of people investing in things and leaving their comfortable jobs, and just seemed like America was like growing and booming out of control with opportunities, and so I think there was almost this like artificial sense of you could just venture into a business opportunity like this, and it was going to just succeed no matter what, so there was a lot of like... Uh, emotional energy involved in it too but in hindsight now it all seems so really almost ridiculous that we did not press for more facts and for more proofs and you know go check some of these things out ourselves we were a lot of us were just almost blindly trusting in this guy well I think that's really interesting because when you're when you want something so bad and when you when you're sort of ready to receive it yeah you know, you kind of you kind of believe whatever's going to be put in your hands. Exactly. So. When somebody tells you exactly what you want to hear, I mean, literally, I'm not kidding. I remember in some of his uh, sales presentations, him using words like "this is the American dream." Now I look back and I'm like, really, <laughs> really? Did you fall for that? How did I yeah, fall yeah. for that? <laughs> like that is the most obvious sales pitch ever. Uh, but like you said, when you want something and the timing is right and the opportunity just seems so perfect, you just you hear what you want to hear, you know. And what was the investment to be able to get into the franchise? Um, territories were being sold for about $100,000 each. Uh, and then some people were securing additional territories for like an additional just holding rights to a certain geographic territory for like an additional twenty or 30000 bucks. So Gotcha. And most people sunk at least $100,000 into reserving this so-called territory, which was meaningless once the guy took off. Well, so you were spending $100,000 just to get the territory, yeah. and then that didn't include actually getting Opening a building, no, no. Right, <laughs> you know, right, getting right. equipment, right. all staffing, none of that stuff, right? Right, right. So when you went into this, a month into you actually having opened your doors and you found out that that this guy no longer really existed. What were you feeling at that time? Like, what was what was your emotional state? Like, what what were you going through? Well, I think I was one of the last holdouts in our group because the, the good thing was that there was a whole group of people who were in this together. So we were having phone conferences and emails were flying around like crazy. And at least there was some support with a group of people, like, figuring out what to do together. But um, my personal view, and this, I guess, speaks to a little bit to my nature, which may or may not be good, But I think I was one of the last holdouts that just could not believe that this was true, that there must be some other explanation. Like, no, 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 this guy is trying his best. He is just not good at this. (laughs) But I think I was the naive one who just wanted to believe. So my initial feeling was like, oh, there's there's no way that this guy can be such a shyster and a fraudster. Um, But I think truthfully, in the end, he really was 
all that and then some. And so uh, for a while, I kind of hung in with my optimistic view on things like he'll come around or this isn't what it looks like. But eventually, you know, the truth was pretty obvious and he was truly gone. Nobody, nowhere to be found. So then um, I, I really did. I, I thank my lucky stars every day. I do truly sometimes reflect and uh, just appreciate how fortunate I have been that I had uh, resources to go back to and pull upon because probably the biggest penalty to him aborting like that was that there were lots and lots of additional expenses immediately upon us that we did not anticipate. So what looked like what was supposed to be a quote-unquote like maybe $300,000 startup plan literally turned into like no exaggeration like a million dollar startup plan Whoa. so it was not like i have to go get fifty thousand more dollars to hang in here but before it was all said and done over the course of the first couple years then there were so many expenses that were supposed to come through the franchise that didn't and not only that but lots of things they did poorly that we had to go back and correct through legal action and stuff like that it was just really ugly so i thank my lucky stars for the fact that i up to that point, had um, you know really good credits. I had resources to pull on of my own. I had uh, banks I could go to to pull for some additional loans, and I mean, I just literally pulled out every resource I possibly could. Um, got a little help from my dad. Got a little help from the bank. Pulled on my own bank accounts and my own savings, and I just I was able to pull it together by some miracle. <laughs> so my my question is is what was going on inside of you that made you make the decision that I'm going for it. Like I'm going to make this work even though all this stuff is sort of crumbling around me and the foundation that I thought was so sturdy is actually not there at all. Like what what made you made that make that decision to I'm going to make it work versus okay, let me just cut my losses and leave. Um, you know what? I guess this is partly just truly the way I'm naturally programmed, but I never, ever, for one second, considered quitting. I just never did. It's just not in my composition. And, you know, I will look back and say, there probably was a point in time where it might have been uh, a perfectly wise decision for me just to cut and cut bait and bail, you know. But I just don't even think that way. And uh, now I can look back and say, thank goodness I didn't, because the business is doing so well, and I have so much like to celebrate. I just truly, I am not programmed to ever quit. So I, I just, I really never thought about it. I always just went back to my own gut feel, which was I can make this work. And I think this is a really great business. And you know, once you get into a business where you have a whole bunch of employees relying on you, I will tell you that makes it so much more difficult to consider the prospect of quitting. Also quitting meant for me, um, I had a lot of loans out that were secured with my home and quitting for me meant the potential of like losing my home which is not just my home it's my family's home I have my daughter and my husband and so there was really a lot on the line that would have made it very very painful and very difficult to go back it was almost like forward was the only direction so that is where I went. <laughs> so what were you doing in those times? Because obviously those had to be full of just stressful moments and oh my gosh moments and what am I going to do type of moments. So what habits did you have at that time like, or, or still have that get you through really stressful moments like that? One habit that I still love dearly and rely on every day just for general peace of mind and stress reduction is running. Running for me, I've always said, is the solution to absolutely everything. It makes you feel physically better. It makes you feel mentally better, emotionally better. 
I like become much more clear minded when I go running. I, if I have something that is really bothering me or a problem that I'm struggling to solve, literally, if I just go out running, it's like all of a sudden the answer just comes to me or the endorphins and the, the, uh, you know, energy created in that run just makes that problem not such a bad problem anymore. It's just really, that is, has been such a salvation to me, I have to say. I still do it to this day. If I'm feeling bad or need a little time, I just go out for a run and it really does seem to make everything better. And it makes you sleep better and it makes you feel better. It's just, it's such a great thing. So that's been hugely helpful for me. And then the other thing I did, which is something you can only do, I think, for short times in your life, is I literally just worked my butt off. So I'm not exaggerating when I say that I was getting up at 3 a.m. to just crunch my numbers again and look at my bank accounts and figure out how I was going to pay the next bill coming in and where the sales were going to come from next. I mean, for a, a good period of time in the first few years of the business, I was literally managing every penny of cash flow. And I was doing it at 3 o'clock in the morning because when the business day started, there were so many things to address during the business day that I couldn't focus on stuff like that. So I was really, really burning the candle at both ends for a while. Um, but I survived. So let's kind of move on from that, you know, destructive time. So you've made the decision, you're moving forward. You really didn't make a decision. You just move forward because that's what you do. And you're just going to make this business work. And you're doing, you're working like crazy in order to make that happen. What happened after those first couple of years? Like, when did you know that things really took a shift and, and you were okay? I will say that I really, truly always knew it was going to be okay. I think that, and that goes back to whatever weird programming I possess. I don't know. I'm glad I do, but I do question it myself sometimes. But I really, truly always knew in my gut that it was going to work out. So, but it really was still a, like, horrible Many sleepless nights, very stressful for quite some time. And probably somewhere about three to four years into it, I really started seeing things turn around. Like, I really started seeing my debt start going down. I, I always had a debt reduction plan. Like, I knew how much debt I had, and I knew what my cash flow was, and I knew what it cost to keep the business going, and I knew what was left over, if anything, for debt. And there really wasn't any debt reduction for like a few years because the cost of running a business, a medical business like this, is so expensive. So just to build it up to the point where I reached the, the tipping point was, um, it took some time. But um, I think once I really started to be able to see my debt relief plan come into play and really see the debt start to reduce, even though it was going to be a few years before I accomplished that, I think that was a huge turning point. And that happened like around somewhere between year two and three. I think also somewhere in there, I think around year two, actually, um, I had somebody approach me who saw this business and wanted to buy it. And I think that to me was like a really positive reinforcement that like I had built something, even though I knew it wasn't perfect yet on the inside, I had built something that really like was attractive to another investor and so like little things like that started happening just seeing seeing things turn around and you know just the business really started to pick up I, I'm a numbers person I mean I like I literally track the numbers constantly and just to see like a steady predictable consistent uh, rate of sales coming in the door and phone ringing constantly I mean that that all happened like between two year two and three 
gotcha. took a while where I was like a little more comfortable with where things were going. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your marketing strategies. Tell us a little bit about what some of your marketing strategies have been, maybe some of your most effective and maybe some ones that sort of, you know, fell on their face, <laughs> even though you thought that they were going to be great. Yeah. Well, um, we definitely have probably tried everything from A to Z in the years that we have marketed this business. You know, in eight years time, I really think there's almost no marketing type of marketing that's known that we have not uncovered or tried, but I think we learned very early on that, uh, first of all, our, there's a lot of stigma associated with our business. It's a non-surgical cosmetic business that pretty much is vanity and services that we offer like Botox get a lot of really negative press. And there are a lot of people in the world, um, although Believe me, there are millions and millions of people in the world who do these things. This, this is what makes our business so prosperous, but there are not a lot of people who will talk about it or admit it. It's still kind of a little taboo in the world. So although our customers come in and do these things, they don't always tell their friends or tell their family. And there's just, like I said, a lot of stigma attached with it. And so we learned very early on that you cannot mass market effectively a lot of these services because of the... It's not well embraced immediately by people. So what we had to do was come up with creative ways to communicate the feelings that we sell, not the services that we sell. For example, uh, some of our most effective marketing early on ended up being testimonial-based, where we would uh, have somebody do our services and not necessarily talk about the fact that they did Botox, but talk about how their experience at Radiance was such a great experience, and the services that they got made them just walk back out into the world and feel like a million bucks, gave them, gave them confidence, made them feel great. And so we tried to appeal to like more of a um, communicating the feeling of what we do, not only just what we do, you know. And that really turned out to be very effective. So, for example, just one thing we did for several years was there used to be in the Tampa Bay area a uh, smooth jazz station called WSJT. And we used uh, one of their DJs, Alicia Kay, for years, who would, she would come in and experience Radiance as a customer and just go on and genuinely, and we gave her instructions. We don't, we're not going to give you what to say. We don't want you to be artificial. This is not, we don't want this to be a paid advertisement. We really want you to go and genuinely talk about your experiences at Radiance Med Spa. And when we did marketing like that, it just brought people in here in droves. It was excellent. I mean, people listened to Alicia on that radio station for years. She was on that radio station for like 17 years. And um, they really trusted her, had a relationship with her, and uh, she shared her true feelings about it. And the phone was just ringing. So we learned a lot from doing that type of marketing and tried to use that sort of approach in a lot of the other marketing we hmm. did and still do. Shed a little light on the type of marketing that you do online, social media marketing, Google, you know, ads, all that sort of stuff. Where, where are you guys in that space? Because you've talked about that you don't do this mass marketing, but on those mm -hmm. sorts of platforms, you can really target and regionalize your marketing efforts. So what sort of strategies have you used to leverage online platforms? We currently use some of the traditional online marketing tools that lots of businesses do, like we do a little bit of Google ads. We, we do have lots of educational material on our Websites. We have multiple websites because we have multiple locations of our business and stuff like that. But we really try to put emphasis on education and lots of content updates. So we do lots of blogging. We do lots of article writing. Uh, we try to post fresh content that's very 
like educational in nature all the time because we really feel like that's what our potential customers really want to see is they want to learn about what we do, not necessarily be marketed to in the traditional sense, but they really want to learn. If, if you're if you are a potential customer in our industry, I can tell you it is such a hot growing buzz industry. I mean, it's all over TV shows like Dr. Oz. There are billboards up and down every major artery of Pinellas County and Hillsborough County. And pretty much it is just a confusing amount of information for the average consumer. So we really try to, I always say to myself, boy, I would hate to be a consumer in our industry and not know what I know, because it would be very difficult to choose which place to go and what device works and what marketing is true and what's a bunch of baloney, and so we really try to help our uh, potential customers navigate that through education. And you're really having to play the role of staying on top of all this stuff because right. you know you're you're making the discerning um, choices on what equipment you're actually getting here for your clients, and you know what stuff you want to be able to talk about to be able to educate the general public and all that sort of stuff. So, what is that experience like? How hard is that to actually? kind of sift through the muck of all of the new technologies that are out there? Because I would imagine that you've got a lot of stuff coming into that space pretty rapidly. Yeah. The way we really stay on top of our industry and the technology is we are very, very focused on continuing education. So not only for our clinical staff, uh, but for all of our staff and, um, you know, including me personally, we, uh, we really keep abreast of what's going on in our industry through just going to conferences and events like that, but we also do a, a really pretty significant amount of training within our business. So we consider it a critical part of doing what we do to to really have a true knowledge of like the science behind what we do. So for example, when a new laser comes out, we actually have a pretty good method of understanding, like not based on what the laser company is going to tell us the laser does or how they're marketing their device. But if we know that it's a erbium non-ablative laser with these wavelengths of energy, like we have educated ourselves to the, the scientific level of these things truly so that we can judge for ourselves that we pretty much have a good understanding of what a laser like that can do. And we can determine what we think our demographic of client base is going to want or benefit from with that technology. That helps us sort through what devices in the myriad devices to purchase or not to purchase, which is really important because there's just, there are a lot of duplicate devices out there. There are a lot of devices that really don't work very well. And if you don't really know your technology and the science behind it, I think it can be very expensive and it can be like a a critical mistake in these types of businesses. I do also really appreciate my technical engineering background when it comes to that stuff too. I mean, that really has helped me as the owner and investor in this business, you know, who buys the equipment to uh, make much more um, careful decisions about what we invest in and what we don't invest in. So, And I thought it was very interesting. You and I were talking a little bit before this interview about the decisions that you're making on when to invest in a piece of machinery and when to hold off and when a new version is coming out, but is it really that different than yeah. from what's current and how long machines last. I mean, that this is a very capital intensive company uh, and industry where you really have to shell out some major dollars for a $100,000 piece of equipment or more, right? Yeah, right. And, and you're talking every two or three or four to five years. Yeah. Well, actually, the truth is, if we just really went with the market trends, we could very easily and 
some would say should buy like a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment every single year. That is the rate at which new stuff is coming out in our industry and the rate at which consumers are demanding like the latest and greatest stuff. But as you mentioned and um, is the truth, a lot of the devices that come out are just very slight iterations on the last device or really a lot of the devices that come out really do the exact same thing as an existing device just with a new package or a new name or a new marketing campaign. And so um, we do have to be, again, very careful to evaluate those devices because you can easily, I mean, a lot of these, the medical practices in our industry easily own a million dollars in equipment and half of which is redundant or doesn't really work that well or it's just going to lead to disappointed customers or patients, you know, so... Yeah, that is a really important um, thing that we've had to watch closely. So so I want to jump back for just a second to talk about your leadership style and your management style. You kind of had a staff from, from day one mm-hmm. because that was really part of what you needed to really get the business going. What has your experience been like being the owner of a company and being able to manage people and being able to oversee a staff? First of all, I've always really liked to work with people and I... I've always liked leadership positions. I just have naturally gravitated towards liking to be in a leadership role with with other people. But leadership to me really has always meant serving. So I see leadership, like my style of leadership, as treating my staff like they are my customers. I mean, I really see it that way. So, And they know that. I talk to them about this all the time, whereby if I can help them achieve their goals and if I make sure all their needs or as many of their needs as possible are met, that they are going to be the happiest, most productive part of the business and it all goes downstream from there. So um, that has always been my philosophy that, you know, as the leader of an organization or a group of people, I think you do your best to uh, serve and support all your people as best you can. And um, that has just really always worked very well for me. So that's just my nature to help and serve people anyway. So it's kind of a funny, you know, I've heard the term servant leadership. I didn't hear it until later in my career, but it just totally clicked to me that that is, I guess, what I just am naturally programmed to do. Are there any books that, any business books that you have read that really have lent themselves to how you actually run your business on a day-to-day basis or how you approach your business day-to-day? Yes, there are, as a matter of fact. Um, And I just came across this book through, I belong to a couple business groups and somebody in one of my business groups after getting to know me said, you have got to read E-Myth. And, uh, (laughs) I actually ended up listening to it while running. That, that definitely clicked with me like 150%. I think that book uh, is so helpful for any business owner in just systematically walking through how to structure your business for success. And that, that just resonated with me so strongly. I really like that book. I would recommend it to any small business or any size business owner. What have been some of the major ways that you have evolved as the owner of this company over all these years? So I have always had jobs in male-dominated industries, always. Like, even when I was in high school and college, I ran a marina, and I was the harbor master, and it was pretty much, you know, the old sailor environment where you're mostly working around men and just that environment in general was kind of an interesting environment for a female to be running and um, loved every minute of it. Best job I ever had, I say. 
working on the docks and boating. Then I went and got my engineering degree, which, you know, less and less now for sure, but at that time was male-dominated. I was one of two females in my entire mechanical engineering graduating class at Tufts University. And then even when I went into my get my master's degree, there were a few more females, but still male-dominated. And then I got a job in the uh, corporate environment of orthopedic medical devices, which was, again, quite male-dominated, especially at the management level and, and up. And um, I mean, I had many female colleagues, but generally male-dominated field, orthopedic surgery, I spent my time out in the operating rooms of the world with mostly male. In fact, I truly don't think I ever met a female surgeon in 10 years. I don't think I worked with one single female customer. Wow. So anyway, I just, I don't know why, but I ended up in all of these male-dominated environments. And I really didn't have any problem with that. That is not a negative or a complaint. It just was kind of how I came to be. And um, I was always a little bit more of a tomboy, too, so that was just my personality. You know, I was an athlete when I was younger. And so um, I always had this kind of maybe tough shell on the outside, and you kind of learn that when you work in those environments, and you don't even realize you're learning it. And so you can imagine probably from that history how somewhat shocking to my system it was when all of a sudden I found myself opening a med spa, which was entirely staffed by females, and... Really, when we opened, pretty much 100% of our clientele was female. We now have um, a, a male contingent of about 20% and growing. But it's pretty much a male, a female-dominated environment now. And really, truly, that was so shocking to my system. And it uh, took me, honestly, a couple of years to like really open up to that. Probably one of the very, very best things that ever happened to me because... I remember feeling when I first worked in this environment with all my now female employees, like there was so much emotion being expressed at work and feelings were discussed openly and I just was totally not used to that. In fact, I was really uncomfortable with it and it might, I kind of was, I would go back to my corporate behavior, which was in cor most corporations, the one I worked in, it was, you pretty much don't get too personal at work, you're not allowed to give birthday gifts, you're not allowed to be very, you know, it's just, it's a very, like, formal corporate environment, and just didn't realize how programmed I was until I got into this environment, but, you know, I realized before very long, uh, it took me a little warming up to it, and a little, building a little trust and confidence to open myself up like that, but um, it really was honestly one of the most wonderful experiences I had to, like, transition into this environment, where you can actually be close to your coworkers and share your life with your coworkers and really connect with them on a personal level and that um, you really can if you, uh, you know, have the right people and the right leadership style and all the stuff that we very fortunately have at Radiance Mitzba. But you can really work closely side by side with people that you just care deeply about on a personal level as well. And so that was one big evolution for me. Another one is just learning to like open up and trust people. I tend to like keep everything inside and tend to feel like I have to be the one who makes everything okay and, you know, is the uh, fearless leader without any admitting that there's anything wrong behind the just stoic cloak. Yeah. yeah. And I actually, yeah. I think growing up in the Midwest and in my family, I grew up in kind of a stoic environment too, just that personality type. But um, something that I have evolved into over the years, because you almost really kind of have to when you have a business is opening up about, okay, we got to like kick it into high gear here, people, because we got some serious bills to pay. And although I never, as I said earlier, gave up the belief that we would do fine, I, I did have to 
lay down the law with the staff and say, all right, you know, we need to make sales or we need to focus on growing the business and watching our profit line. And, you know, I had to admit for the first time in my life that everything was not totally perfectly okay, which is not my nature either. I always was one who just kind of everything was okay. So that was an important evolution where I kind of just opened up and was willing to admit that everything was not perfect. And we, there was some, uh, rough waters in the, uh, in the world and we just had to navigate them together. So, and then thirdly, very important evolution, which has come more recently. I wish it came sooner was just really learning to ask for help and like learning to admit to people that, you know, I do need your help. I cannot do this all by myself. And I'm not afraid to tell you that I am, uh, overwhelmed or I'm not really very good at this part of my job or just a lot of things that I was not when I was maybe less mature as a business person willing to admit. And so now I have come a long way to, to, to admitting, you know, I suck at this part of my job and I really <laughs> need to get somebody else to do this and I can't be everything to everybody and uh, I need to focus on what I'm good at. And so delegating and just admitting what you're good and not good at was a really important development for me too. Well, that'll go right into my next question, which is give me a snapshot of what life looks like for you today. What's your role in the company? You know, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? I kind of break my job right now into like three major buckets because I've been trying to do this a lot lately to further streamline what I'm doing and be smart about what I'm, what I'm contributing to the business because it was not too long ago that I was doing like even more than I'm doing now and it was way too much. So I have learned over the years that I really need to look closely at what I'm doing and figure out what I need to be doing for the business, what I really want to be doing for the business, and then I need to get rid of the rest. So right now, my job consists of pretty much three major categories, which are number one, running the strategic planning part of the business. So making sure I am at the helm of the forward-looking plan, our vision for the next year, for the next five years, and longer term, and then making sure we are, you know, marching to that plan and that we have all of our structure in place to do so. So that is one big part of my job. Another big part of my job is um, just managing the operations on a day-to-day basis, which is part of my job that I really need to improve upon because I don't currently have a true manager, so I am the true manager, which means I have 12 staff members, and so they all look to me to be the manager, and that's pretty much a full-time job with as busy as our business is. Um, So that's kind of my second biggest chunk. And then the third is I do all of our initial consultations with all of our patients, which I'm so happy to say is another full-time job because that means we have lots of traffic coming into our business. And I truly love from the bottom of my heart doing those consultations because I love to connect with our potential patients. I love to educate. Um, and I just really love that role. And it, it's work, it works really well in our current structure, but um, it's also another full-time job. I mean, there are days where I do eight consultations, one every hour for eight hours. And so you can imagine I get, I'm not accessible to the team for management purposes and Um, I'm not working on our strategic plan in those eight hours, that's for sure. So this is where I've realized as the business has grown that it's so important for me to figure out what the most important functions for me to serve are and to continue to delegate and streamline my activities. So I hope the next time I talk to you, I am not currently still serving in those three roles because that is not going to be good for the business. And if anything, it's just going to hold us up from, from future 
you know, optimal growth. I think it's just that continual evolution, you know, it's really like this constant having to hold a mirror up against you and saying, okay, what, what am I doing and what can I not be doing? And, and it's really, it's really triggered by those really late nights where you're like, why am I doing this data entry right now? You know, like, why do I need to be doing this? And even though I I actually kind of like it, but you know, this does not further the cause of the business. Well, and it, it has helped me to have relationships with other business owners too, which, they give me a lot of really hardcore feedback. The people you want to be friends with when you're running a business are people who are going to be honest with you and tell you when you're doing something really stupid, like <laughs> why are you doing your own QuickBooks data entry? Like, really? You have way better things to do than that. Yeah. So I've really, really come to appreciate the people that might say some kind of things that feel harsh when they say them, but if you just accept it and you really think about it, you know they're totally right, and you got to do something about that. So, I've learned a lot from other um, business associates too. Touch on that for just a second, because running your own company and being an entrepreneur tend to be a very lonely place because you don't have a, a corporate structure, you don't have a manager, you don't have a weekly meeting to brainstorm stuff out, and. You know, even though you have 12 people on your staff and part of your team, those are not the folks that you need to be talking about strategic vision of the company with and, right. and what, what processes are broken that you really need to fix. Those, those really aren't those, those peers to talk to. So talk to me about what you've done to fulfill a need to really be able to hash out ideas about what's going on in, you, in your head and what you're experiencing. Talk about that experience, about what it's been like sort of getting out there and being able to really develop relationships with other business owners who are also in the trenches and also kind of going through their own business growth. Yeah. You know, what I wish I did a lot sooner was join some business groups where I could have those types of interactions with other business owners, many of whom you know, when you sit around a table with other business owners, you realize are experiencing the exact same thing you are or have been there, done that. So there's so much benefit to just getting around a table and sharing your true business experiences with other people who are in the same boat. I, gosh, I guess it's been almost three years ago now, joined a, uh, a well-established group called Vistage International, but it's a, uh, as I said, international group of, uh, people who get together in these facilitated small groups of business owners. I happen to belong to one of the chapters in the Tampa Bay area. And um, so monthly we get together with, you know, a dozen business owners and everybody is either a CEO or an owner of their own small business. And we get together and we just literally talk about anything and everything that's on our minds that we need help with, that we're struggling to solve, or, you know, it's such a great interaction with other business owners who can totally relate. You know, it can be tough to go sit around a group of people that at first you don't know and admit that you don't know something about your business or that you have made a big mistake or that your business isn't doing as well as it should be, or maybe it's doing really badly, but boy, there is so much help to be had when you do admit those things and just trust in others to help you. And uh, I I cannot be thankful enough for being a part of that group. I also had the very good fortune to connect with a lot of other people early on in the franchise debacle. And there are a couple people, um, in fact, there's one person in particular who owns a uh, a Radiance. She changed the the name of her business since. She's not a Radiance anymore, but she originally opened one of the first Radiances up in Connecticut. And she and I talk constantly. I mean, for eight years now, she and I have been connected at the hip. And she has provided so much 
comfort and coaching and camaraderie and advice. I mean, I really, truly don't know what I would have done without that relationship as well. So I think the message there is find people who you can uh, relate to, who can really understand what you're going through and trust in them to help you. You got to open up and tell them, you know what? I can barely make payroll and like, I'm freaking out. I can't even sleep at night. I'm incredibly stressed out. Help me fix this problem. And you'd be amazed the help you get when you ask. So surrounding yourself by people who can help, surrounding yourself by people who are inspiring and positive and motivating and supportive. So critically important in uh, making it through the tough times of opening a small business, you know, or any business really, you know. Stephanie, I want to really close this conversation with getting your feedback on what you think your vision of this company is. I mean, you started with a giant bomb in the very beginning, very, very beginning, and have pushed your way through that very diligently and very focused with a lot of really great attitude and have built yourself and built the company over all these years. And you're here at this place where you are profitable. You're doing very well. Business is growing very, very well. What's the vision? Where are you going from here? I am always evaluating different opportunities for growth and expansion. And to be perfectly honest, at the stage where our business is right now, we could expand in a number of different ways. And I have truly not completed my evaluation of where I might want to take the business next. From, you know, possibly possibly just expanding locations, that's kind of an obvious one, to um, expanding through different types of partnerships, or just expanding this single location into more of a business than it currently is. So stay tuned because I'm that this is actually kind of a current priority of ours in terms of the big picture direction that we might want to take the business. You know, it's funny though because sometimes I think about that and we've really got such a really good thing going with our business right now. But I also try to remind myself to just look at what you've got and sometimes you know, enough is enough. You gotta, I gotta, I have to also keep my own, um, personal goals in mind. And, you know, it's tempting when you have a successful business that's doing so well to just, I mean, I can't tell you the number of people, friends and colleagues in the business community around here who say, Oh my God, you have such a great business model. Are you going to open like a hundred locations? I mean, that's just the immediate assumption people make, but you know, I'm very careful to, to quickly go there because that comes with a lot more work and a lot more stress. And you really got to, I, I just have to make sure for myself that that's the quality of life that I want. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking at many different options for expansion. The good news is I feel like we're at a, in a place where our business is solid and we could expand in a number of different ways that we're exploring. So, But uh, on a um, more of a beneath the surface, I guess you could say, vision I have for the business. You know, I look at my business in kind of five different pillars, you could say. One is to to look at our patients, you know, the people that we serve as a business, and just to always make sure that as we go forward, we are an ethical, honest practice of medicine that only offers things that really, truly work. Because, and I say that because our industry, unfortunately, is fraught with stuff that doesn't work, a lot of marketing hype, and as I said earlier, it's really hard for consumers to navigate that. So we want to be the place that our patients can come and know that we will always only offer things that are going to get them value for their money, safe, effective solutions, and that they can really trust us in that. 
That's one pillar. Another pillar is we always want to maintain that we are the business that wants to bring hold the bar very high in our industry. So we will not purchase, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. You can purchase illegal medical devices overseas in our industry to get it at a cheaper price so you can make a better profit, but it's totally illegal. These are practices that are becoming more rampant in our industry, um, and we refuse to participate in that type of business. So whatever we can do to elevate the bar in our industry to encourage the practice of ethical behavior, you know, that's another strong pillar for us. Another one is to really provide a great workplace for our employees. So that's a huge focus of ours, and it always will be. So that, you know, we serve our employees just the same as we serve our customers. So that they can look to Radiance to be a secure, stable home for themselves where, you know, they can um, really develop themselves both personally and professionally. One more is uh, we are really, really dedicated to our community. What One of the most wonderful things that I have come to appreciate in the most recent years of our business is now that we are a strong, uh, growing, profitable business, we can now afford to invest the money back into our community. And I always say to my staff and say to the community that we are only here because of our community, right? I mean, they are the people who have patronized us and given us their trust and uh, their business. So over the last couple of years, we've had the very wonderful opportunity to partner with several charities, uh, community organizations, business organizations, and we really do dedicate a significant chunk of our marketing budget and our resources towards giving back to the community, and that's so important to us. And then last but not least, just um, being a strong, stable business that can offer jobs to the community and be a you know, strong contributor to the local and regional and national economy is a really important thing. So that's where we watch our business practices and our numbers and, you know, just that we can be a healthy, strong business for the economy. So that's the way I look at the business on kind of an ongoing basis is that we should always be keeping all five of those pillars really strong. And I don't have a visual to show on this podcast, but um, if you saw our logo, it has five petals representing flowers, like flower petals that kind of uh, radiate over our name. And uh, I really like to think of those five petals as the five pillars of the Radiance vision. So just kind of worked out that way that we had five kind of major areas that we focus on and there are five petals in our logo. I didn't plan that one, but it does help us kind of keep focused and it makes a pretty picture. Stephanie, I really want to thank you for taking the time out to share your business story with us. And I really, really thank you for just being really authentic and genuine and very giving with your experience and what has happened to you and what, you know, you've experienced all of these years. So thank you so much for your time. I know I learned a heck of a lot and I know our listeners truly did too. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. And thanks for having me. What a breath of fresh air Stephanie was. I mean, she just sort of is this culmination of humility and power all at once. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with her, and I hope that you did too. To get the full show notes, go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 16, and there you will get a whole combination of Stephanie's story as well as some really awesome quotes that I picked up on throughout our conversation and uh, a link to her website as well so you can find out more about her. If you loved what you heard, I would so appreciate you going to iTunes, giving us a rating, leaving a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. I'll see you on the next episode and keep it rocking.